Father, I thank you for the neighbors in the room. I thank you for people, individuals that are here today in different seasons of life, whether they're 99 or 19. And I pray, Lord, that the word of the Lord would cut, get in hearts and minds today. You'd, you'd sow it and we'd reap it. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Now, I love to tell the stories of growing up out in the country because uh, we lived uh, 20 miles out of town. And I remember one day, a hot July day like this, my, my other cousin was visiting from California. And uh, I went horseback riding because we had horses. I had the best horse ever. His name was Charlie, extremely well-broken horse. You could take him to do whatever you wanted. And we were going up a hill right next to Calamity Jane's Cache. Have you ever heard of Calamity Jane? She lived here, and from the veranda in my backyard, we could look out and see where her cabin and homestead used to be. So we were going up there, and you know, that horse went through some kind of barbed wire fence that I had no idea was there, and it got cut on its legs so bad, I had never seen muscle, tissue, sinews come out like that. I mean, it was a horrible mess. And my cousin and I stopped, she had another horse, and that horse could barely walk. We, we got Charlie down the hill, and, and she said, I think the thing to do is for you to go get help. And I'm going to walk the horse down. So I, I remember I ran about a mile to my house. And as I was running, I was thinking, who can I get a hold of to help out in this situation? And the thought came to me, my friend Pete Olson, he was a livestock inspector. And he lived just uh, a couple miles down the road. When you live out that far in the country, your nearest neighbor is a mile away. So I called Pete, and he happened to be home. He came down, and he helped bandage up the horse and probably saved the horse's life. We got a vet out there later, was able to do the surgery that was required on it, put everything back together. That horse still lived many years after that. It was just a great horse. But I was on the receiving end of being a good neighbor. A lot of times when I think about the story of the Good Samaritan, I always associate being the Good Samaritan. But it's great to be on the receiving end. And it just made me think about the decisions that people have to make. And today what I want to highlight is what I call decisions of do-gooders. Any do-gooders out there? According to thesaurus.com, that's another syllable for a good Samaritan, someone who does good. Now, these, parable, these parables, they fall into different categories. You know, the, the categories that we've studied are the nature of God's kingdom, uh, seeds that get sown. Uh, we looked at uh, service and rewards. Uh, Jesus had a lot to say about worldly wealth, how to handle money, about humility in life. Uh, we talked about the second coming. The nation of Israel is mentioned a lot in the parables. And I'm going to highlight the power of prayer next week in, in Jesus' Uh, parables in Luke 11. But this story here deals with one of my absolute favorite subjects, and that would be the topic of love. This is a feel-good story. Loving your neighbor is the essence of Christianity. I mean, that's what the, the, the man who asked Jesus the question responded to what Jesus said just a few verses earlier, when he said, you should love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he began to tell the story. Verse 29, he wanted to justify himself because evidently he felt convicted about what Jesus had said. You've got to love the Lord and love your neighbor. And I like how the Bible includes details like this because they give you insights into the human condition. And then Jesus answered with his parable. A certain man. That's how we know it's a parable because parables usually begin with this phrase, a certain man, who says, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, maybe you don't know this, but Jerusalem's actually like located on top of the, like the mountains. And Jericho, while it's only like 17 miles away, has almost a 4,000 feet elevation drop. And it, it's a very difficult road. It's very steep. It's treacherous. It's filled with robbers. In fact, that road had robbers in it until the 1930s. 
So it's a, it's a dangerous place. So the story is believable and familiar to these people. It says, this man fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, beat the snot out of him, departed, and left the man half dead. And it says, by chance, a pastor came walking by the way. It says that he saw the man, but uh, he was worried about COVID, and he slipped on by the other side. But it's all right, because you know who followed after the pastor was the associate pastor. The Levite arrived. He came, and he, he did a little better. At least he looked. He had the mask on. He was looking over there, passed on by the other side. <laughs> now, you know the next verse tells you the, great, the good Samaritan came along, had compassion to the man, took care of him. But I wanted to just kind of focus here a little bit on these two thoughts here. And as I was going through this, man, I'm just... This story is amazing. You can take it any way you want. Here, here's what the Lord kind of put on my heart in decision-making. The first thing I want to highlight about decision-making and do-gooders is that they have to be discerning. Do-gooders are discerning. That means they have the ability to judge things well. They can grasp and comprehend something that's obscure or obtuse. More specifically, they understand how to know something uh, through the wisdom of God. That's what discernment is. It's the discerning where God has taken you. Uh, I like how the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. And it takes a spiritual man to spiritually discern things. Uh, a personal observation I have made. And by the way, I'm not the first person to say this. Uh, in a lot of churches, especially Spirit-filled churches, uh, you might have people who you know, have a lot of gifting, uh, have a lot of pizzazz, but very little common sense. It's almost like discernment is one of the missing elements in so much of what we see in church today. Now, Jesus was a discerning man. He knew when that Pharisee asked him that he wanted to justify his behavior. Jesus understood people. John 2, verse 25, Jesus didn't commit himself to people because he knew what was in the hearts of men. He was a wise, discerning man. And you and I need to be discerning. Uh, Romans 16 calls it being wise to what is evil, and simple in what is good. And there's something about knowing and being able to identify what sin would be and to discern that so you can make good decisions. You know, here's the thing about discerning people. Someone who's discerning is not going to look away. Apparently, the Levite and the priest who passed by lacked discernment, like Eli did with his children. Discerning people will open their eyes and look all around at a world in need. <clears throat> I was at Costco the other day. That place is a zoo. And I was in the uh, eye shop getting some contacts, and I just sat there and people watched for a minute. You ever people watch? Walmart is another really good place to people watch. <laughs> Different clientele at Walmart. But you know what happens at Walmart? They'll have a lot of times where sometimes uh, people pass by and no one notices situations. They've had more than one instance where someone may have died in a parking lot at a Walmart and been there for a couple days before they're recognized. And it's because sometimes people just look away. They turn a blind eye. They get oblivious. Sometimes the reason why you don't notice things is because you're just preoccupied with life. I mean, you're trying to get your kids up ready to go on that camping trip that we're going on. And that is an epic battle. I mean, just to be ready. Sometimes people don't look because they're too busy. The thought here about the priest is that he was in a hurry to make it to the hour of prayer. Too busy to be burdened by other people's problems. He needed to get to that temple and get himself to church so that he could pray. Uh -huh. uh, sometimes people look away because they don't want to be inconvenienced. You ever been there? 
I really don't feel like extending myself as much as I need to do it, and it requires something. So you should not be, uh, you shouldn't look away, don't look away. Instead, you should be discerning. Yeah, and you got to be discerning about people. And it's a challenging thing. Now, I was at Walmart again this Monday morning. I like to shop at Walmart early for groceries. And I'm walking out with my cart. And, and as I'm walking out, some lady's over there. She said, hey, can you help me out? And I said, uh, I said all right, what you need? She said, I need, I need my tire change, a flat, a flat tire. And I need a tire. And I was like, well, I, I've never really gotten one out of my Suburban. And, and so I, I was like, I suppose we can go look. So her car happened to be next to mine. And I, I get looking at it, and she, it's like half flat there. And so we were looking for my tire iron, and, and I'm just going to be honest, I really wasn't feeling excited about this. I had nothing in my heart that wanted to help this lady. And she could kind of tell that. And so she said, all right, I can see you don't want to help me. Can I use your phone? So I said, yeah, just, I said, let me, let me look. She, she took my phone. And as she's talking to her friends using all kinds of racial profanities on the phone, some lady came by and took a picture of her car. And the lady on the phone's wide-eyed looking at me like, what is that? And, and so this lady runs into Walmart, and the other lady realizes that's my boyfriend's ex-girlfriend. And she called the boyfriend, and not more than 20 seconds later, this dude comes running out of Walmart, and the two of them are hopping in that car and driving it down the street with a flat tire. Glad I didn't help. <laughs> it was a mess. I'm telling you, when it comes to being a good Samaritan, people don't think about it. you got to be discerning. You, you, you got to know what to do. Opportunities are always there, and you can't turn away from them, but you got to be wise. How do you know who you can help? I mean, think about that. I, I, I think wisdom and experience kind of help you figure out who I can help and who's going to be on the phone with racial profanity swearing at everybody. <laughs> Trial and error. Man, I, I remember one time I got a call from a guy. He said, I need you to meet me at uh, a, a restaurant down here, I wanna, and I need some help, you know, and so I, I met him down there, and I remember I was talking, you know, he told me, he told me he was Hulk Hogan's neighbor, lived in Florida in a gated community, used to own a chain of restaurants. You all laughing because you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you know, he was telling me all the businesses he had, but somehow, some way, that thing ended up, you know, in trouble, and he's being sued by people and didn't have access to his funds, and after this long story, he just needed to ride to Columbus in a hotel night. So, you know, I, I handed him off to Daniel. <laughs> now, Daniel, Daniel was wiser than me because I was kind of like, wow, either you were a really great liar or you know, that's something else. You know, wow. And Daniel got him out to Columbus and, you know, we never heard from him again. I don't think he was Hulk Hogan's neighbor. <laughs> the office and experience will help you figure things out. On the other hand, I'll never forget the day that we we're here in the office and we had the, I've told the story about that, that couple. They were from Hungary and they had a visa and they showed up outside there with a broken down minivan, three very hungry children in the car and had no ability to take care of themselves, no money and no food. And once we figured out the language barrier and got through, man, we got them squared up on their way and they cried. They told me they had been to three churches before and we're the only one that would help them. And I, I prayed for moments like that. I want to be a good Samaritan in the moment. But to do it, you better be discerning. And discernment means you can't look away. You're going to have to acknowledge 
and look at people, talk to them. Here, here's how that works. I like what Philippians 1.9 says, that your love will abound more and more in all knowledge and all discernment. It seems that the more of God's love you have in your heart, the sharper your discernment is. The easier it is for you to look at people, deal with them, talk to them, get to know them. And that love actually becomes a, a protective barrier for you to be able to be a blessing in somebody's life. I'm telling you, the love of God helps you. So you got to look around and be discerning because you'll see a need if you just open up your eyes and look around. Now, here's the second decision. It tells us about a certain Samaritan. Now, we'll get into the details of Samaritans here in a little while. But this dude, he, he's not a priest. He's not a pastor or the associate pastor. He's just coming along, and he sees the man, and he had compassion. Somebody say compassion. compassion. So it says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on him the oil and the wine. And he sent him on his own animal, brought him over to the Hilton Garden Inn. He, and he says he took care of him. The next day when they departed, he pulled out $200. He put the credit card on the hotel file, and he said, I'm going to come back, and I'll square up, my, I'll square up whatever is owed at that point. Now, here, here's another thing I would tell you about being a do-gooder and a decision that people have. They know how to keep their heart soft. They have a delicate heart. Do-gooders have delicate hearts. Not a soft heart, not a hard heart. Sensitive, pliable, a, a heart that is um, willing to engage without getting cynical. And you've got to watch for being cynical in today's world. You know that? That is one of the most challenging things, is to keep your heart soft so you're not always disillusioned by the failures that people might have or your disappointments with them. I like Proverbs 4.23. This is one that I remember all the time. Keep your heart with all diligence. Out of your heart flow the issues of life. All the decisions you got to make, your entire decision-making is going to flow out of what's in your heart. If it has to do with the way you handle money and, and how you're going to honor God, or maybe it has to do with your relationships and the way that you treat people, or the pursuits that you have, your passions and your desires and, and the hobbies and the things that you do, they're all going to flow out of a decision uh, to keep a heart with diligence. You know, the key characteristic of the Good Samaritan is that he had compassion. He had mercy on a broken man in the moment. I always like being a good Samaritan. I, when I read the story, I'm thinking, man, I want to have good Samaritan moments. Well, I had one one day. I was working at a utility plant, utility company over on like 19th and Monad, right over by Par 3 Golf Course. You know what's that? And I'm just pulling out, and lo and behold, I see a guy ram right into the back of a lady's car, and then she is a three-car pileup. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. And so, you know, everyone kind of got out, traffic stopped, and I noticed that everybody went to the two cars that got rear-ended. They'd passed on by the car that did the rear-ending. The guy that did that was an elderly man, probably shouldn't have been driving. But I could tell you they were upset with him. They were yelling at him. And so, you know, I, I got down there with him. I started, you know, seeing if he was all right. I prayed with him, waited for the paramedics to get there. And I, I just remember being right there in the moment to help that guy in the situation. Uh, everybody wants to be a good Samaritan. How can you be one? What did the Good Samaritan do? And I like what the story here lays out for people. The first thing he did was he bandaged the man. That's what the text says. So he brought healing to the guy. He, he, he was there to help bring healing. Healing is something you can do simply by just praying for somebody. I always pray for people who are sick. If you want prayer because you're sick, I will pray with you. And I've prayed for people, and I've seen them healed. 
And I prayed for people, and sometimes they don't get healed. But I don't stop praying for people. We pray that the Lord will heal people. Sometimes healing comes through being patient with people. You know the difference between a miracle, when a miracle happens, and when someone has healing take place? A lot of times, it's just the length of time. It's a process to get healing. So patience is one of those things. When you're patient with people, it it can bring healing. It can help them walk through things. And uh, It tells us in this story that this man then, he poured upon him oil and wine. That's what the verse says, oil and wine. You know, that's a cleansing agent. The oil is there to bring comfort and soothing to skin, but the wine is an antiseptic, and it wiped away the bacteria. And, and what this has to do with is comforting people. I mean, being present with them. You know, sometimes I might have my mind preoccupied with something else, and I'm there to talk to someone, but I may not be present in mind. I have to focus on being right there listening, because what people will remember is the way that you made them feel. So when you can be there, active, present, engaged, you get to be a good Samaritan because they'll sense your sincerity. It says that he took the man to the inn, which means that you're going to have to help people sometimes financially. Uh, It can be costly to do something like that. I I remember another time I was at Walmart. If you want to be a good Samaritan, you go down to Walmart. I'm at Walmart. A friend of mine was working there as a cashier, and she said to me, she said, hey, uh, I, I don't have the money for gas to get home. Do you have some money? And I happened to have like nine bucks. I was like, yeah, here you go. Here's you know, the cash I have on hand. And, and, and I always like being able to do that because I'll never forget a time when I had the opportunity to be a good Samaritan. I didn't take it. I was at Cafe Dumont in New Orleans having beignets and coffee. You know, it's quite a line up there. It's a popular place. And Elizabeth and I had to wait 45 minutes to get some donuts, y'all. No one should have to wait 45 minutes for beignets. So we're in line waiting. We get down to the front. Remember that? And... The man ahead of us didn't see the sign that said, no credit cards, cash only. And he was like, I got like five people I got to buy copies for, and I don't want to get back in line. And he's like, does anyone have cash? And I had cash, but I sat there, and I just remember thinking, I don't know if my wife wants me to do this. I I don't know the guy. I mean, and I didn't do it, and it haunts me. I should have been a good Samaritan. And ever since... Like that, that's highlighted me. I've always been generous. It's like the one time I never did it, and I still think about it. It still bothers me because I had a chance to do that. Jesus also said about this good Samaritan that when he comes again, when I I come back, you know, that's people who keep their commitments. Following through with things that you have committed to is an indication of good character, and good Samaritans have good character. They will do what they need to do to be there to help someone. I, I try to do my best to remember my promises. If I know I'm aware that I have said something, I want to be the guy that follows through with what I said. That's what the Samaritan man said. After you've taken care of him, I'm coming back, and I'm going to help him out. You've got to extend yourself to be a blessing to somebody else because there will always be an opportunity, and you will find the opportunity if you just keep your heart in the right place. It's really that simple. If your heart is soft, if it's pliable, if it's delicate, if the Lord's been moving there and the opportunity comes, you'll take it. Now, let me give you a third decision here. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? That's what Jesus asked. Jesus is so wise. A guy asked a question, and in true rabbinic form, because Jesus was a rabbi and a master teacher, he answered the man with a question to be provoking and make the man think. So the Pharisee said, uh, well, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Here's what do-gooders will do. They will duplicate 
the Lord's example. They will go out and do the things that Jesus does. Jesus himself said he only did the things he saw his father do. And his famous call to discipleship was, follow me. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Philippians chapter 3, he said, join in following my example. And note those who do so as we have given you a pattern. You know, good Samaritanism is following the golden rule. Think about what Jesus said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And when you do things like that for people, then you'll find you'll get the same things in exchange. You'll reap back what you sow. Think about following Jesus' example. What exactly did Jesus do with people? First of all, he turned the other cheek. That's what he said in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, When you get offended by somebody when they slap you, the answer would be to turn your other cheek. Don't get offended. Because it's impossible, according to what the Bible says and what Jesus said, that offenses don't come. I hate to break it to you, you're going to get offended by somebody at some point in life. It happens to everybody. What do you do when someone offends you? Are you going to go out of your way to help someone who's offended? Maybe you're offended about their perceived sexual orientation, and you don't want to help them. Maybe you don't like their political persuasion. It's quiet here. This story is about taking care of people who might offend you. That's kind of wrapped up in the story of the Good Samaritan. Being offended doesn't stop you. If you're offended, it will stop you from being a blessing. Some of the greatest experiences I've had is when I've given to people who maybe I didn't didn't really want to help. That's the story here. Turn your other cheek. Don't get offended. Uh, Take time for people. People are incredibly valuable in the eyes of the Lord. And Jesus, he was able to take care of individuals. He, He went to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. That's high society. Nicodemus was a ruler of the people there. He met with them alone. Jesus also met with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. That's the next passage down in the text right there. They were his personal friends. He wouldn't hang out with them. He was all things to all people. Uh, Jesus met with uh, a blind beggar, the poorest of the poor, and he prayed with the man. He, after the man got healed and got excommunicated from the temple, Jesus went and found him. I mean, he cared about people. And Jesus uh, met with a woman at the well. And this woman was also a Samaritan. She was a marginalized person. You probably know that Samaritans in Bible days were not well looked upon. Like they had high society Jewish people and they had Samaritans, half Jews, half Gentile. And so they were kind of kept out and that's what made the story so shocking. They would do that. It's, it's the way that you treat marginalized people. You know, I have a heart for immigrants. I have a heart for immigrants for two reasons. When, when I go to Walmart, I'll come across them at about nine o'clock on a Friday night, you can find them. And uh, if I hear them speaking Spanish, I respond with como esta. And I try to communicate in Spanish with here. And secondly, I have a heart for immigrants because I have a wife who immigrated. We went through the whole process. I know how challenging it is. And secondly, I've worked in hotels where the, uh, the immigrants can outwork the white people. Sorry to tell you that. <laughs> like they're very good workers. And so it, I, I have compassion. And whenever I'm around someone who might appear to be marginalized in that way, I do my best to try to acknowledge and extend courteous and kindness. That's what I read in the story. Another thing Jesus did that you got to do if you're going to be a good Samaritan, tell people the truth. Because we got a world today that's short on truth. Did you know that? 
Jesus told people the truth. He told Simon. He said, dude, Satan's coming to sift you like wheat. He gave him a warning. Like, you're going to go through some real difficult shaking things. He warned him. But in the next verse, Luke 22, 31, he turned around and he said, I've prayed for you and you're going to stand. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. I mean, he encouraged him right there. If you get close to Jesus, he will encourage you with uh, you know, love and comfort. He'll be right there for you. But that ain't the only thing he does. Because I do read in Matthew 16 where Jesus rebuked Simon Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. And it just could be that sometimes being a good Samaritan might be rebuking people from sin. Don't keep going that way. Don't live that way. Don't, don't keep that up. That's a warning you give to people. I got to go camping again today. I can't wait. We, we're going to go to Red Lodge. Last time I was at Red Lodge, I drove up this thing called the Hell Roaring Plateau. You ever been up that one? I'm coming up that road. You can barely find a way to turn off of it. Like it's, I, I told the story last time. I took my mother up there, and she screamed at me. I had to turn around. So I'm up there. A car's coming down. We had just enough room to pass. And the very friendly Good Samaritan said, hey, the bridge is out. So you got to turn around when you get to a certain point because there's no turnout up there. And I'm happy he told me that because I had a car full of children. <laughs> That's what it might take for you to be a good example is to warn people, maybe the bridge is out in your life. If you keep going on this direction, you're going to fall off into a cliff, and you want to be able to be someone who can do what Jesus did, tell people the truth, love on them, warn them, encourage them, and maybe rebuke them. If you go and do likewise, you will be a blessing to someone who's in need. Now I want to answer the uh, original question Jesus, or the original question this, this man asked in Luke 10, 29. Who exactly is my neighbor? You know who your neighbor is? Anyone who's in distress, man. Somebody who is in a place of need. Someone in distress. Anyone who's in need. And we all want to help people who are in need, don't we? But you know I discovered about the word need? It's a pretty vague word. It can mean a lot of things. Multiple connotations to the word need. It's a bit like the word love. I mean, I, I love coming home after church on Sunday and watching the Denver Broncos. I love my wife. I love my wife more because Denver's terrible right now. <laughs> but you see, it's a, it's a big word right there. With the word judgment. What kind of judgment are we talking about? Like wrath? Or are we talking about like a consequence? So need is the same way. And there's multiple connotations to it. When you think about the word need, probably the thing you're thinking the most in your mind has to do with money. I mean, that, that's the thing that comes to people's mind. I need something and and, and so I always love to be a blessing. Other than that one time in New Orleans, when for some reason I didn't give some, do some cash, and I feel bad about it. I've always tried to be right there when people need something. I want to be a guy who, who, who can bless people. You know, it's a funny thing. My dad would go around doing that, and I still meet people today who remember he did that. And I, I just, I, I want to be that person. I want to be a guy who's in need. But I have found when you're, when you're dealing with need issues, sometimes the habits are the bigger problem than the money. Sometimes it's the habits people have. It can get them in trouble. Uh, another need people have is for relationships. It, whether you're single or whether you're married, you have emotional needs. And sometimes they get met, sometimes they don't get met. And those are needs. That, that's, that's where people live their life at. Sometimes the needs that exist might be physical, like you need healing in your body or you need housing to be you know, in, in your life or in material things. Uh, 
Sometimes the need that you have is for wisdom. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things. Wisdom is how you solve problems that you're faced with. And to be a good Samaritan, you need the wisdom of God in your life to know what to do. And, and you're going to have to have a heart that's sensitive and soft and arms that are open to bless somebody. I mean, that, that's what, all it would take is just a soft heart in the moment to be a blessing. And according to Jesus, this is like one of the greatest things that you can be. Because he's going to say earlier in the chapter that if you do that, you bless people like that, it will be given back to you in so many ways. It's a golden rule, the good Samaritan. You need wisdom. I feel like the Lord has got wisdom for his people coming over. Hmm. I was thinking about discernment growing in the hearts and the minds of people. Hmm. How many want to grow in uh, discernment? Hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things. Discernment helps you see things clearly and truthfully, but it operates through the love of God. Now, I want to be a discerning man. I want to have a delicate heart. I just I feel this. I feel something very, very, like sincere, like like a sincere or sobering. Realization to that. Uh, you need to be discerning and keep a heart right. Hmm. Hmm. Opportunities will always come in your life, man. Hmm. I'll pray that here in a minute over people. Oh, I was thinking about horse stories. You know, like, I got that horse that cut its leg. Now, my sister Amanda had terrible experiences with horses. <laughs> she was getting bucked off. I watched her go like four or five loops falling over fences. You know, one day she was out riding in the field because we lived out in the country. She saw a pickup full of young men. And she was riding her horse and she thought to herself, I want to show off for these guys. So she did that thing where they, I think it was like the reins in her mouth, arms out riding along. You ever seen people do that? And that horse was scalloping along, but I don't know what happened. But Amanda said she ended up doing about three flips back onto the ground. <laughs> she was laying there. But this, uh, pickup full of handsome young men played the role of the Good Samaritan. And they got out, and uh, they helped her, got her all fixed up. They went and got her horse, and, and she said it was an embarrassing moment, but the guys were kind of cute. So <laughs> They came and they took care of her. I don't know what, uh, what moments you're going to find yourself in, but oh, I, I, mm. I feel like just waiting on the Lord here for a moment. I feel like just waiting on the Lord here for a moment. I feel, I feel like the Lord's got, um, you're going to have moments like this. It's just, you know, take a moment with me. Pray in the Spirit, if you will. Just pray in, pray in the Spirit. And just kind of wait on it for a little bit here. Lord, I love you and I bless you. Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for the wisdom of God. Mm, thank you for opportunities that you have with people. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your love and your goodness, your kindness and your mercy. You know, sometimes, you know, this is a strange thing. I, I'm going around looking like, Lord, do you have a word for somebody? And sometimes he moves that way. I mean, sometimes he doesn't. I felt like as I was just sitting here praying, I felt like, like um, 
you know, we, we had this amazing horse ointment, ointment, and we would put it on the horse, and it would heal up pretty good. And I would steal that stuff and use it on my hands. And I've never had something heal my hands as much as that horse ointment, like when this guy put the oil and the wine on. I felt like as we were sitting here, I could feel that balm of Gilead, like a, like a healing, something that the Lord is rubbing into your hearts right now concerning uh, his love and being a discerning individual. It, like an impartation in the room. So if you would do something, I want you to just lift your hands and say, Lord, use me. Mm, use me to be a good Samaritan. Help me to be a loving person. Help me to identify people who really are in need and be a blessing to them. Father, I thank you for open hearts and minds ready to receive. And I do want to pray over Jerry here. She's really in a need. If you want to be a good Samaritan, this is a lady who needs your help. So I want to pray over you, Jerry. Father, I just thank you. Lord, every need being met, thank you for everything taking place smoothly in her life. I pray that housing opportunity comes. It's a blessing to her. Father, I thank you. Eyes not seen, nor has it heard, nor have entered the heart of a man. Things God has prepared for you, Jerry. God's got good things ahead for you. I pray that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Mm. Mm. I feel like there's people in the room that want to be good Samaritans. So I pray that. I pray discerning. I pray the love of God. I pray the peace of God. I pray eyes to see, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to them to do in moments. And I pray for soft hearts. I pray for hearts that are free of sin, hearts that will be convicted by things, and and, and they'll move away from sin and grow in the peace and the grace of God. I pray that in the name of Jesus, man. I pray in Jesus' name. I pray in Jesus' name. I love reading that story of the Good Samaritan. It makes me feel good. And I read it at face value. I read it like I want to be a Good Samaritan and help someone in need. Do you know how the early church saw that story, how they interpret it? The early church fathers, they said that this is a microcosm of the gospel. Probably like me, you're thinking about how you uh, want to be the Good Samaritan and don't ever think about the guy on the receiving end from being the Good Samaritan. But the truth about it is you and I are like that man who fell among thieves. We're beaten up, wounded with what is called the affliction of sin. But a man came along with healing and wholeness, and his name is Jesus. He showed up as a good Samaritan, and he can heal you, he can get you to the end, he can take care of you. How wonderful is that? And by the way, he'll come again. When I come back, I'm going to say all things right. And that's what's in this story, man. It's the person of Jesus. So if you are wounded with sin, if you've ever had sin issues like that that are crippling you and you're stuck right there, I'm telling you, Jesus can lift you out of that mess. I felt that when I was with the youth group uh, and, we're, and they were singing there. I felt the, 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 the sin of being free of that because I have been in that situation. And Jesus set me free. He set you free? Every head bowed, every back look. If you don't know the Lord, this would be a time for you to get healing in your body, or healing in your life, a healing balm. Yeah. And I want you to put a hand up, and I want to pray with you. There's a good Samaritan who's coming for you. He loves you. He cares about you. All right, I see that hand. I see that hand. All right. So just say this. Just pray with me. Say, Father, thank you for coming into my life and saving me, and I want to walk with you, and I receive your healing. For my mind and my spirit 
and my body. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's stand up this morning. Ooh, man. I just feel the peace of the Lord, and I want to encourage you to have eyes, to see what to do and know what to hear what the Spirit's saying to you. You're going to have opportunities this week, trust me, to be a blessing to somebody else in their life. I know it. And God will bless you for it. The love of God is going to operate through you. You're going to be a blessing in someone else's life. It might be on your way home. You you might find someone on the side of the road, fix a flat tire. You you might go to the grocery store, like I said, they're at Walmart, just trust me. You can find them, and they'll be a blessing. You can be a blessing. Mm. Father, I thank you so much. Mm. I thank you so much. I'm trying not to always be in a hurry on things, man. I'm trying to just, if I feel the presence of the Lord, I'm just trying to wait on him. Mm. And I just feel something in my spirit that God wants to use you in a greater capacity. And it starts here by just being a witness and being a love, being, being caught in the love of God. Amen. 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 If you want prayer, man, I love to pray with you. The altars are open here. I'd be glad to pray with you. I want to bless you and challenge you to invite someone out to church. And it's been just awesome to have you here with us today. We're having youth group back here this Wednesday night. Um, get baptized. we got that coming up. So I love you all very much. I'll be in touch with you and see you later, all right? I'm going on camping. So if you want prayer, we'll catch you.